Hello, and welcome back to Wandering the Edge, a podcast about Ukrainian history without a spot of travel. I'm your host, Larissa, and today we'll be having a guest on our show, so no swearing. Uh, but first, the usual introductions. If you are listening on Podcast Addict or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review or just rate it. You could also find us on a number of streaming sites, including but not limited to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and of course, the website wanderingtheedge.net where you could check out any of the previous episodes and sources. Now, because Russia has invaded Ukraine, uh, we're a bit busy defending our country, so no travel or tourism advice. But in the meantime, here's an episode about Lesya Ukrainka in a conversation with Dr. Uh, Sasha Dolzhik. Now, Sasha was born in Zaporizhia and now splits her time between the UK and Ukraine. She received her PhD in English and Comparative Literature from Burbeck University of London. She writes about numerous and various topics, including legacies of Chernobyl, transitional uh, decadent aesthetics, and Ukrainian literature. She is currently an associate lecturer in Ukrainian literature at UCL, but is also uh, the special projects curator at the Ukrainian Institute London, which... Um, aims to center Ukrainian voices and promotes Ukrainian culture and knowledge in the UK. So I'm super excited to talk to her about one of Ukraine's greatest poets and activists, Lesya Ukrainka. Now, Lesya was actually born Larissa Kosach. The previous episode is actually all about her family, if you want to know more. Now, Lesya Ukrainka was a pen name she came up with, or her aunt, possibly, when she began submitting her poems to publishers. She was born in 1871 in Novhorod-Volinsky to Olena Pshilka and Petro Kosach. She was eight when she wrote her first poem, Hope, and some of her most famous are called Forest Song, which is, was written in 1911, and Contra Spem Spero, written in, 19, in 1890. She also wrote uh, drama and prose. Now, she was diagnosed with tuberculosis at a young age, but loved to study. And she knew English, uh, German, French, Italian, Greek, Latin, Polish, Russian, Bulgarian, and of course, Ukrainian. Now, due to her illness, Lesya would travel to more dry climates and loved experiencing other cultures. She was anti-Sadist, proudly Ukrainian, and fiercely feminist. And although her poems had certainly very prominent Ukrainian motifs, it was her loneliness and social isolation that made her poems so powerful. Her illness managed to give her a view of the world that made her passionate for her own personal freedom and her nation's freedom. I think she fell in love with a Serhii uh, Mijinsky and was actually by his side when he died from his own tuberculosis. She would also marry Clement Kvitka, whom her mother didn't like, and they settled into a quiet married life. She would die in a health resort in Georgia on August 1st, 1913. She, alongside with Ivan uh, Franco and Taras Shevchenko, make up Ukraine's poetic pantheon. But it's her influence upon Ukrainian feminism that I want to talk about with Sasha today. And so here is Sasha, uh, Sasha Dolchik talking Lesya Ukrainka. Hello and hi, Sasha. Thank you for for joining me today. Um, honestly, it's a very it's a large it's a big privilege for me to have you on. Um, 
basically because of the amount of work you do is sort of like superhuman. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, thank you so much, Larissa. It's uh, actually the pleasure and the honor is all mine. And I think we are all working overtime as full-time Ukrainians these days. Yep. Yep. I'm not the only one. Um, so let's just dive right in. So Lesia Ukrainka, I think, is known as many things. Um, in the diaspora, I think she's mainly known as a poet. And the more you dive into her, the more you sort of realize that she's also an activist and, of course, a feminist. Now, but, like, who is she to you? Like, what got you interested in in Lesia Ukrainka, the historical figure? Uh, you know what I'm thinking about these days? That Times um, uh, Prize for the Person of the Year, which last year was awarded to the Spirit of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, might sound loud, but but the spirit of Ukraine is something that applies to Lesia Ukrainka, in my view. <laughs> she is one of the embodiments of the things that we love, that we cherish about Ukraine. Um, and she is an emblem of all the things that we hold dear. She is defiant. Uh, she is incredibly forceful. Uh, she fights against the superior forces of both imperialism and patriarchy. And she does it with elegance and with style and with the nobility and brilliance, which are absolutely unparalleled. Um, So for me, she's just uh, one of the icons uh, of Ukrainian culture that today become, you know, symbolically charged for all of us. Mm -hmm. Now, so I did a little biography of well, her first name was Larissa, but uh, she her pen name was Lesia. Do you know privately how she how she went by? Does she go by Lesia or does she go by Larissa? She actually did sign her letters Lesia, so oh. uh, I think it is okay for us to refer to her as Lesia Ukraine. <laughs> although, although arguably Larissa Petrivna Kosic is more dignified. Yes, yes, and I mean it's a good name. It's it's a very good name. Yeah. Um, now. In the diaspora here, we sort of know, like, the biography that we know of Lesia Ukrainka is she had tuberculosis, she was sick, and that's why she wrote, like, these poems. But um, there's so much more to her than just her illness. And, like, how much uh, of the influence did her personal family also have on her writing and also the, like, the circumstances she found herself in? Yes, it's a very interesting question. Thank you for raising it. Um, I think it's worth commenting on her illness, actually, because it's such a fascinating plot line in the story of Lesia Ukrainka. Um, we we all know like Oksana Zabushka, a mm-hmm. famous Ukrainian writer, she very eloquently wrote about this image of Lesia Ukrainka as this great uh, weakling, the great sick one, Velika Khvora. Yeah. Um, and she she argued that this uh, emphasis on Larissa uh, Kosic's illness diminishes her status and the contest, constant focus on, on her suffering undermines her poetic and her literary power. This is all true. Uh, doubtless, Lesa Ukrainka is not defined by her illness and she refused to be limited by it. And yet, and yet, we should not overlook the importance of this constant struggle with her body for Lesa Ukrainka. She called it her 30 years, 30 years war uh, oh. with her own body. 
uh, in her letters. Um, but it, it was a war which also sent her places. It was one of the reasons why Lesya Ukrinka is one of the uh, best traveled writers in Ukrainian mm -hmm. cultural history. She traveled to Georgia, to Crimea, to Egypt, to the Caucasus, uh, in search of treatments for her tuberculosis. And uh, doubtless it, it uh, influenced her writing, the themes that she was able to raise, the cultures she was able to engage with. But also this illness is one of the reasons why her uh, image of the body is so interesting, the way she writes about bodily issues in her poetry and in her prose. Uh, there is uh, this theme of transcendence, of uh, bodily limitations, of uh, physical constraints. Um, perhaps it's most um, beautifully articulated in her um, most famous uh, poetic drama, Forest Song, mm -hmm. when the heroine is uh, reduced to pure spirit and her hapless a lover regrets this very much, regrets killing, destroying the destruction of the body. And uh, Mavka, the heroine, tells him that don't worry about the body, basically. It is now infused with power, with fire divine, as clear and bright and as glittering good wine, something like that. So for her, the transcendence of the physical body is very important. And I think this theme is brought by what uh, Lesya Ukrainka had to endure in her personal life. Yeah. She absolutely refused to be um, seen as just this invalid. The invalid is the word from her letters, from her writing. She understood that this is how the society would construe her, but she rejected this paradigm and she wanted to be much more than that. I mean, it helped that her father was was very wealthy, right? Like <laughs> in, in, in that entire, in, in her course of treatment and in her life. And then we all know, well, I mean, the feminists out there will know who Lesya Ukrainka's mother was and which I explained in the a previous episode of her sort of home life was very much a very patriotic but very I think unique situation in that time in Ukraine where her mother had the ability to write and express herself a little thing I, I, more than I think what normal women were going through at that time right Absolutely. Um, Larissa Kosic comes from this very patriotic, as you say, and yet very privileged uh, background, which we would probably call the upper class. And it is funny that um, during the Soviet times, she was often presented as this peasant girl, um, which, which she, she she was not. No. <laughs> she had a respect for for. Uh, folk culture, but she herself <clears throat> came from uh, quite different circles. Um, and uh, yes, indeed, so the the family life, the very interesting, intimate uh, circle of her family, where everyone was highly educated and pursued all sorts of cu cultural avenues from early childhood. Uh, was one of the influences on her writing and basically on her life. Um, we know that um, her mother, Olena Pchilka, mm -hmm. educated her children herself. 
it was one of her uh, projects uh, to provide them with appropriate uh, education in the Ukrainian language, mm -hmm. uh, which they could not do outside of their household. And then while children were growing up, they had some uh, some kind of mentorship all over their younger siblings. And we know very well that uh, young uh, Larissa Kosich uh, wrote a um, textbook about the, the history and culture of uh, ancient Eastern uh, peoples for her younger sisters. And I did not know that, actually. <laughs> it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. And it's still... Um, is of a scholarly value. Um, wow. She she translated Babylonian poetry for her younger siblings, um, and I think there is a new edition of this textbook in Ukrainian in the Ukrainian language. So you would be able to find it at some point. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's just like imagine just being able to like sit down. It's just sort of mind boggling in this day and age. I guess also with the access to internet of just having someone sit down and translate po like long poetry for your siblings. Uh, exactly. In ancient unspoken languages of all things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously she could not read uh, those languages at that point. She translated from translations. Mm -hmm. uh, she read those, uh, that poetry, those texts in um, French, I think, uh, and in German. But the fact that uh, a teenager could translate poetry, ancient poetry from, from French and German is also quite telling. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the next question. I mean, she wrote her first poem at eight and we all know Nadia or Hope um, mm -hmm. was an important it's an it's an important element in the history of Ukrainian literature. Definitely for young. So for someone so young to write something so emotionally charged. Yeah. Um, now, can you compare that to like any other like non-Ukrainian poets? Like, is it is it even possible seeing as Ukraine has such a weirdly unique history of its own to compare Lesse Ukrainka to even someone outside of Ukraine? Because I don't know if if there could can be comparisons. Yes, you're you're right. Um in the short answer would probably be no, <laughs> and uh, all comparisons would be quite insufficient and lacking in some respect. Uh, there are like precocious um, teenage poets and teenage artists in world history. Um, Rimbaud comes to mind, mm -hmm. obviously. And also an uh, artist dash writer uh, whom I researched quite well, Aubrey Beardsley, who um, was born the same year as Lesa Ukrainka. Um, he became famous at 18 and he died by the age of 25, having completed an enormous amount of uh, uh, visual artwork uh, mm -hmm. as well as writing. But probably like in other respects, more fitting comparisons would be with feminist uh, writers in in the Western canon. I always think of uh, Lesio Grink as some kind of a sister in arms with Virginia Woolf, for example. Mm -hmm. um, obviously a prolific uh, feminist, a pioneering feminist writer in many ways, uh, who also came from an upper-class um, background and who uh, struggled with uh, the themes of uh, illness mm -hmm. and health throughout her life 
There is another theme which connects the two writers, uh, which is the search for uh, a female intimacy, a space for a specifically female uh, relationship that is not constrained by the patriarchal language. We know that Virginia Woolf, for example, had this corpus of uh, letters, correspondence with uh, Vita Sackville West, which are quite queer and uh, tender and reach like beyond the uh, heteronormative ideal of what like women could write to each other or feel mm -hmm. towards each other. And of course, there is also this motif in the biography of Lesa Ukrainka. We have her incredible letters to another um, very important Ukrainian modernist writer, Olha Kobolanska. We know mm -hmm. that uh, the two women were friends and that they were supporting each other through the darkest time and that they were the most attentive and critical and supportive readers of each other's work. Um, and the le the letters of Lesa Ukrainka also have this um, beautiful, queer undertone, very tender, very gentle. Uh, there are uh, obviously spec speculations whether the two women were actually lovers or this was just friendship. The the um, answer is we do not know and no. we would probably not know. Uh, but this is also not what is the most important. The most important is their search for this language and for this intimacy, uh, which was not allowed uh, to them by the patriarchal limitations mm -hmm. of their time. Um, so yes, I think uh, Virginia Woolf could be one of those parallels in world culture. But also we should not uh, forget that Lesio Krinka was so much ahead of her time. And for me, it is uh, rather the second generation feminist, so-called uh, feminist writers of the second half of the 20th century that seem comparable to her, uh, like mm -hmm. Sylvia Plath, Anne Sexton, Margaret Atwood, Adrienne Reach, mm -hmm. um, all these exciting uh, radical women writers who were rewriting the canon formed by male writers and uh, revising all those canonical plots from the myth, from world culture, from a feminist perspective. Like rewriting the myths uh, of the ancient Roman Greece and the Renaissance myths of Western civilization uh, from a woman's point of view. This is exactly what Lesa Ukrainka did in her work. Yeah. She did that at the beginning of the 20th century. <laughs> but I mean, uh, so when we're going down that sort of that path, yeah. how much I want to say there's a lot of it just in general Ukrainian history. There's a lot of unknowns, primarily because a lot of primary sources have been lost mm -hmm. from the Cossack time, from the Knyazi time, like the ancient Rus time. Mm -hmm. There's no, it, it's a lot of, I feel there's a lot of speculation for a lot of things. And that speculation comes very much from a uh, Russian point of view, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So even mm -hmm. if like the, the thing is, is like it, I feel like sometimes when we look at Lesia Ukrainka, we just look at her as a poet rather than maybe also a historian because she did write a lot of the folklore that the oral folklore that was around her and she put it down on paper, which a lot of people, yes, in that time it was starting to become popular. But I think that's one of the main issues that I think Ukrainian history has to deal with is the fact that our primary sources are so limited, especially when you go 
you know, back into the 1700s or in, in earlier. I, and I think that's an important feature of Lesio Kringa that gets a little, um, I guess, overlooked is the fact that she recorded all of this. Like she, mm-hmm. you know, she recorded it just for her own, I guess, creative imagination that she turned into her poetry and her work. Um, but I, I, I don't like it's it's a it's a weird thing of, of Ukrainian history where a lot of it has a lot of the sources that we deal with from a historical point of view speaking as a historian historians don't like to use ukrainian sources right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. And, and when you get into sort of lesa ukrinka and the fact that she took the time and she took i guess the privileged and wrote it down because mm-hmm. some of this information we might not have if she hadn't actually taken the time to do that right Yes, absolutely. And uh, she did have this scholarly attitude towards her uh, literary work. She uh, was never confident that she knew enough, uh, which is uh, very, uh, you know, sometimes it's embarrassing to read her confessions about her ignorance. Uh, The woman who knew like more than 10 languages and uh, could reach back to the age of... uh, Babylonian captivity in her research uh, and she she was never satisfied she was always in search of uh, uh, scholarly sources she was in correspondence with specialists with historians with ethnographers with writers like herself <clears throat> for example one of her closest friends was uh, Ahatan Halkrimsky who was uh, one of these distinguished Ukrainian uh, orientalists, mm-hmm. the uh, scholar of the East. And she provided her with bibliographies, with um, uh, sources, and also with his expertise and his knowledge so that she could write more confidently about <clears throat> the peoples that she was uh, interested in. And there, there was a lot of self-education going on from the very early age. And uh, it's uh, never actually stopped. She was always in pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. So now she did travel a lot, uh, Europe, Caucasus, Egypt. Now, how much of those experiences influenced her poetry? Um, they did influence her and it was part of her nature I think she was she referred to herself as a wandering spirit uh, and she even used the the phrase that she she had a gypsy spirit at some point (laughs) in her letters Uh, so she she absolutely rejected the idea of being confined to a certain geography Uh, the world was her oyster so to speak and um, she she was always interested in other cultures um it was one of the reasons why she was frowned upon by her contemporaries mm-hmm. uh, because her more conservative and often male counterparts expected um writers to be only uh, interested in the ukrainian culture in the folk ukrainian culture and here comes larissa kosich who uh, is absolutely okay with uh, writing about uh, Hebrew culture or Egyptian culture or ancient Greek culture. Um, and she does everything with uh, knowledge and with empathy, I think. Uh, there are the Crimean uh, diaries, the Crimean memories of Lesa Ukrainka, uh, which uh, are 
very uh, important for us to this day because when she goes to the Crimea, she, unlike many of her contemporaries and many of those who came after her, uh, recognized uh, that this long uh, this land actually belonged to the Crimean Tatars. Mm -hmm. For her, it was crucial to recognize their legacy and their agency. And this was what shaped her view of the Crimean Peninsula, unlike many orientalizing poems and orientalizing perspectives that were lent by, say, Alexander, Alexander Pushkin or mm -hmm. Ivana Dambitskevich. For her, the Crimean Tatar people are those who are the real um, uh, masters, masters of this land. And that's yeah. very interesting. So, but what's all, also interesting is that she came from a very bourgeois background, but I believe she translated uh, Marx's work. Um, so would she consider her, like, did she consider herself a socialist or a Marxist? Um, I think she did not translate Marx, and there is a myth that she uh, translated the Communist Manifesto, yes. which is just, yeah, this is a myth, um, just that. But she did study Capital, uh, um, by Capital by Marx, and she was a bit disappointed because she did not find that strict, rigorous system that everyone was talking about um, in Marx. But she was interested in it. It is important for us to remember that her generation of uh, people who sort of, um, embraced the civic Ukrainian nationalism and uh, built Ukrainian national project, many of them, from Ivan Franko to Volodymyr Venchenko, also had leftist views. Uh, and so did Lesa Ukrainka to an extent. She was deeply influenced uh, by her uncle, uh, Mikhail Drahomanov, who of course was one of the key socialist thinkers of his time, mm -hmm. uh, he he was his idea of socialism was uh, unusually uh, rooted in uh, the peasant class, not in the workers, and uh, he um, advocated for a decentralized uh, political structure. And he was crucial for Lesa Ukrainka's upbringing and for the formation of her worldview. Uh, so she, she did engage with the socialist agenda of the day. Uh, for her, like social democracy was too, any, uh, too a universal a movement at that time for it to be ignored by the Ukrainian nation. So again, she sees uni uh, Ukrainian national project as part of this global movement towards justice and socialism for her constitutes one of the key uh, parts of this movement towards justice. If there is a, so, uh, a socialist agenda, uh, the idea of social democracy in the world, Ukrainian culture must have its own response to this idea. And uh, Lesya Okrenka, as always, was ready to provide such a response yeah. and to engage in this debate. So, I mean, okay, so how, like, was it, so what did she think of, I guess the, the issue, like, how did she think of her, like, she thought of herself as Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. So it was, there's very much patriotic side of her writings mm -hmm. as there is a feminist side. Mm -hmm. So how did she sort of uh, contempt, like contextualize 
those two sides of i guess of her even I, like this is the this is i think the issue with i think a lot of ukrainian feminists is how are you is the west i guess tries there's a movement in the west where it's feminism above everything else where i think ukrainian feminist history is a little bit different where it mingles and it's not as clear cut as western feminists like to believe right you can be ukrainian and you can be a feminist Yes, absolutely. You're so right here. Um, I think it was Solomia Pavlichko, uh, yeah. an iconic Ukrainian literary critic, who said that in Ukrainian culture, modernism is feminism. So modernism was brought uh, to was brought forward by two women writers, Lesya Ukrinka and Olga Kobylanska. Mm -hmm. Um, who uh, were uh, feminists. They were um, fighting for the right of women to speak. They were given voices to female characters. And it was um, at the time when uh, literature, Ukrainian literature was only expected to be given voice to the Ukrainian people, you know, mm -hmm. to be only developing this idea of the nation. But these women saw, saw, did not see any contradiction in this. They saw Ukrainian literature as a vehicle for fighting for the Ukrainian nation, for the Ukrainian national project. And they saw Ukrainian national project as open to feminism, to embracing this struggle for for women's liberation. So it, Ukrainian national liberation and women's liberation came hand in hand for Lesil Grinka and for Olga Kobylanska. So for them, there was no contradiction um, in placing these two struggles together, which, of course, was not always uh, so for their... Uh, critics and more conservative uh, writers um, who were their contemporaries. I mean, it also, I, the, and I think that's the problem of, of what the Soviet Union sort of took her and molded her into the image they wanted rather than actually studying her work, right? And I mean, you get that from the Soviet Union, you get that everywhere. And it's especially indicative be seeing as, as I believe her sister was, was her sister her sister died in the 1930s i think or mm -hmm. maybe someone else mm -hmm. uh yes there is a history of uh, repressions against lesio Krinka's family um and actually uh, long after lesio Krinka was like after lesio Krinka died and uh, her sister was um uh persecuted by the mm -hmm. soviets it was her uh, friend, dear friend Olha Kobylanska, who was uh, then yet treated as one of the iconic Ukrainian writers because Soviets again uh, saw a socialist agenda in her later writing. And it was uh, Olha Kobylanska who advocated for the release of uh, Lesya Ukrinka's uh, relative. Uh, so we have this uh, female solidarity that stretches even beyond the grave, you know, it stretches through decades. Which I think is one of the wonderful motifs of their of their friendship. Now this is going to be a very open ended question, so if you want to mm -hmm. take the time to 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 answer it, um, what do you think her the role is that Lesya Ukrinka played among the wider liter literary society in Ukraine? Um, I think that uh, it depends on the decades and on the generation 
uh, I think that actually we are living through a Leso Grinka revival these days mm -hmm. uh, because finally, uh, after the decades of her image being, you know, uh, overshadowed by all the layers of uh, Soviet propaganda, she's uh, emerging and she's speaking to us with her clear voice and we are able to read her Work, works in full, a complete uh, collection of her writings has recently been published. Um, I think it was in 2021 to mark her 150th uh, anniversary. So we have these complete works annotated. We can read and enjoy and think and reflect on them. Uh, we, we have a new appreciation of her defiance of her as a symbol of Ukrainian resistance to Russian imperialism, to Russian colonialism. We have this new appreciation for her as an absolutely groundbreaking feminist who revived the uh, Ukrainian culture of the time with all these uh, feminist motifs, which are still very modern, which are still speaking to my generation of women. Um, and we have this appreciation of her as someone fighting for Ukrainian national project. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, more than 150 years after Lisa Ukrinka's birth, we are still fighting for the uh, survival of Ukrainian culture. And uh, Lesya Ukrinka is one of those figures who can lend us a weapon, who can lend us her poetic word um, and give us some words and some frameworks to think about this struggle. Well, speaking of that, I know that you're also instrumental in sort of um, modernizing it, but also putting it into the English language. And I know you helped with um, creating the play Cassandra. Uh, which I believe is touring the UK at the moment. Um, yes, it does. It's um, I I would never um, assume this uh, role of of being instrumental in uh, shaping Cassandra and uh, bringing it forth. It was actually the project of Life Canon, um, directed by Helen Eastman, who who was inspired by Lesya Ukrainka and by her work. And also uh, Ukrainian Institute London, of which I'm part, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was mostly uh, Maria Montague who, who worked on this project and who worked with Live Canon. And we, uh, of course, are lucky to have the new fresh translation by Nina Mari, which actually was this uh, gave us this impulse to to work on on putting Leso Krinka on stage. Uh, so yes, you're right. Uh, Cassandra is now touring in the UK. It will be performed in uh, Cambridge and Oxford this week. Um, we will have the opportunity to discuss Lesya Ukrinka with uh, the Anglophone audiences and they will have a chance to hear her poetic words in, in uh, Nina Mari's amazing translation, um, which, yes, I think uh, finally, finally uh, opens her up uh, to a global audience, mm -hmm. to audience outside of Ukraine. Is it going to come to Canada? <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> we we start local, but we think global. So, yeah. well, what uh, what about her? Because she did write other uh, poems about other um, cultures, and I mean, one of my favorites was the Robert the Bruce poem. Yeah, um, just because you have that iconic image of Robert the Bruce and the spider in the cave. 
<laughs> that's beautiful and uh it's one of her um famous or notorious exotic themes that go beyond ukrainian uh material uh another interesting one which is uh relevant today and which is a, a rare um instance for Lesya Ukrainka to look into the Ukrainian history for inspiration is uh, Boyarina, the noble woman. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope I'm not opening a secret, but uh, I also, I'll say it nevertheless, there is a new translation by Nina Mari and uh, <laughs> it will be published soon. We'll have a chance to share it with the English speaking audiences again. And this is one of the instances where Lesya Ukrainka <clears throat> engages with Ukrainian uh, history and she um, explores the destiny of a woman who follows uh, her uh, loved one into Muscovy in the 17th mm -hmm. century. And uh, we, uh, with, with the heroine, we face all the constraints of the patriarchal and colonial culture. She explores and uh, she dwells into this culture from the inside and Actually, it's a very uh, useful tool for us these days to look at the culture of Russia and to understand uh, its imperial impetus, which has not has not changed much since nope. then. No, <laughs> um, <it has> not. <laughs> no, no, it's a it's a very useful and a very refreshing read these days. Um, but uh, going like beyond uh, our region, she she wrote uh, uh, one of the first female versions of the myth of Don Juan, which mm -hmm. I find absolutely breathtaking. Kamine um, Hospodar, the stone host, mm -hmm. uh, where she is in dialogue, um, as she often is with, uh, say, Alexander Pushkin. And uh, she reverses this patriarchal misogynist dynamic and she focuses not on the male protagonist, but on Donna Anna, who is supposed to be uh, his prey. Uh, but instead, she is this femme fatale who actually moves the plot forward, who um, expresses agency, who is a tragic, manipulative heroine mm -hmm. uh, fighting for power. So she undermines this um, image of female passivity in her work. Wow. Um, so that I don't have a lot of time remaining. <laughs> yes, yes, I can see that. Anything you want to add? I know that you're uh, at the Institute and you also teach, but any other projects coming up that you wanted to to let people know about? Uh, well, I'm, I'm also a wandering spirit and I'm going back to Ukraine in uh, five days time. Um, hopefully, hopefully I will be able to write more about the full scale Ukrainian resistance. And uh, this documenting project is supported by IWM Institute in Vienna, and I'm very grateful for them to to them for enabling me to document what's going on in Ukraine on the ground. Thank you very much, Sasha. Uh, and now I will be taking a bit of a break for July and we'll be back in August with all new episodes. But now because Russia has decided to invade Ukraine, you can help. Please donate to any humanitarian aid relief you can. I've also posted some suggestions on my website. 
Please take up the call and call up your local representatives to help Ukraine in any way you can. Please remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at WanderEdgeUkraine. Check out our website, WanderingTheEdge.net, for source information and other interesting extras. And if you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict, please rate and review and leave a comment about anything, even any weird historical tidbit you have about your cultural peoples. And if you're listening on all the other streaming sites, thank you very much. And as always, happy wanderings, my friends, and Slava Ukraini, Iroim Slava. Thank you.